The simplest truth about man is that he is a very strange being, almost in the sense of being a stranger on the earth. In all sobriety, he has much more of the external appearance of one bringing alien habits from another land than of a mere growth of this one. He has an unfair advantage and an unfair disadvantage. He cannot sleep in his own skin. He cannot trust his own instincts. He is at once a creator moving miraculous hands and fingers and a kind of cripple. He is wrapped in artificial bandages called clothes. He is propped on artificial crutches called furniture. His mind has the same doubtful liberties and the same wild limitations. Alone among the animals, he is shaken with the beautiful madness called laughter, as if he had caught sight of some secret in the very shape of the universe, hidden from the universe itself. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the introduction and first chapter of The Everlasting Man. Long awaited. (laughs) Yay! Hello! (laughs) I'm very excited about talking about this book. Yes, me too. My brother was asking me about this earlier today. I was kind of telling him the order of the books that were written by Chesterton. So if you've been listening along for a little bit, um, you know, we did orthodoxy and he wrote orthodoxy first and wrote the everlasting man later. So this is a good uh, progression for us to go Mm -hmm. from orthodoxy to now discussing this. Right. I think it was actually quite a bit later too. He was Catholic, Um, I think, by the time he wrote the everlasting man, which is like a pretty huge think, shift. Yeah. I mean, I think this, let's see, originally published in 1925. And I believe yeah. Orthodoxy was... 1908, I think. Yeah. So yeah. So many years later. About 15 years later, if not more. And another thing that I, I noticed about this book, which we'll talk about hopefully, is its connection to Man Alive. Mm-hmm. And so if you've listened to our episodes on Man Alive, that might be actually better if you're tuning in for the first time to listen to Man Alive first, because it gives ah, you... Yes kind of a fun image of this philosophy that he's going to be expounding on in this book. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we'll get to talk about that. But before we dive in, what are you drinking, if anything? (laughs) I just had some coffee and a water. So very (laughs) exciting. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton. I have... I have uh, pure sparkling water, so also just about Beautiful. as it creative. Is in a can, it is in a can, though, so we in can, a can imagine. <laughs> it's bubbly. Yeah. Oh, have whatever. you been up to anything? Pregnancy is my whole life, yeah. so I can <laughs> never drink. Uh, yeah. Um, what have we had going on? Well, I'm out of the first trimester of pregnancy on Monday. Woohoo! Hooray! So... I'm feeling a lot more like myself again, which is really nice. Um, I just had a nephew born and baptized today, which was Mm. really exciting. And it's winter here, so it's just kind of (laughs) quiet, quiet life, but very good. No complaints. How have you been? What have you went on a little trip recently? 
Yeah, I um, we've been up to a lot since Christmas. Um, I went to St. Louis for the Focus Seek conference with our students here, and um, that was a lot. <laughs> it's really really yeah. beautiful experience in a lot of ways, but overwhelming. Um, Seventeen thousand of your closest friends in one place. <laughs> it's kind of a lot. Yeah, yeah, but um, but it was in St. Louis, and St. Louis is a really cool city, and there's a lot of fun things to do, and so I got to go to City Museum, which was amazing. Um, really have you cool. seen that before? No, I haven't. It's like this playground for adults that's in this old, like, shoe factory warehouse or something oh. like that, and there's, like, multi-story slides and, like, all kinds of crazy, like, metal systems of ladders and shoots and like all kinds of things anyway it was amazing so I had a lot of fun just kind of exploring St. Louis and of course their cathedral basilica is I think probably the prettiest one in the country to be honest oh wow um it's like full mosaic and just like gold and shimmering on the inside and it's um amazing so anyway that was really fun and ever since we've been back uh, to work and the students came back this week, um, our staff has actually started reading together a book called Digital Minimalism. I don't know if you've oh. heard of it before. No, I haven't. But it's been really, I guess not shocking at all, but super inspiring um, of like just kind of how we want to build better community and we want to have better focus in our lives on the Mm. things that matter and like how Mm. technology can be a great tool, but it can also really get in the way of those things that we're actually looking for. And um, so our whole staff has been doing this like kind of contemplation of all these things Mm. and our phones and doing like every week we have a different uh, challenge to kind of like spend less time on our phones. And we just opened it up to the rest of our students as well, specifically our leadership. And so I think hopefully it's going to be something that we're thinking about for the rest of the semester together, um, just like as a large community. And I think it's going to play into like a parish wide Lenten promise and like all kinds of stuff. So I'm really excited about it because there's a lot of energy and everybody's affected by it in different ways. And so, um, there's like not really anyone left out of that discussion so that is so I'm really glad you brought that up because that's kind of been on my mind and I recently heard this quote from a Catholic mom who gave a talk basically that I saw online (laughs) I saw it online um (laughs) but all of us are affected (laughs) I know we are I mean the world is very digital now but um she said I used to think I don't know. And this really spoke to me because I'm in homemaker stage. But she said, Mm -hmm. I I used to not feel overwhelmed by taking care of my home and my kids until I had a smartphone. And then I Mm -hmm. felt like I didn't have any time to be a good homemaker anymore. And that really struck me because I it made me wonder how much of my lack of time is actually a lack of time or it's just me misusing my time being Mm. on my phone, being on my computer when there are things more present at hand. So maybe I'll join Mm. you at least for Lent and kind of try to challenge myself to be more present in the moment in in my physical world that exists. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really appreciated about the book so far, and we've, we've only just started reading it, but one of the things is he's always, uh, in the way he, he writes, he's always 
very real and it can be mm. kind of sobering, but at mm. the same time, he's hopeful and he's not just kind of saying like, oh, this is just terrible and everything's awful and blah, blah, blah. But he has like these elements of hope that he, he weaves into each of his chapters. And uh, one of the things was that we can be tempted to kind of feel this overwhelming shame for spending so much time on our phones. But he was saying that like the phones are literally engineered to keep our attention. Like yeah. this is the whole point. And so um, like it's because it's how people make money. all our fault. Yeah. Right. It's not at all like to begin with our fault. Like we had no idea. He kind of traces like the history starting with like Facebook and then as like the iPhone came out and like all yeah. that 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 we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Nobody knew what we were getting ourselves mm. into, even the people that were engineering these things. And so yeah. we kind of like, I think there's a lot of freedom in realizing that it's not my fault that I find myself in this situation, but mm. it gives me this like sober awareness to be able to make a game plan to be mm. free, you yeah. know, of it. Yeah. And it's, he, he argues that it's really not about whether or not the phone can be a tool. I mean, obviously it can, but it's really about our freedom and our autonomy. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, so that's, that's just kind of like what has been on my mind recently and what we've been kind of reading and discussing so as great. a staff here. That's, so, that sounds you, like it's going to be super fruitful. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Have you um, been reading anything recently? Yes. Well, um, Brideshead Revisited, which mm, uh, I mm-hmm. think s- some of you have heard the most recent episode on, um, which was kind of you know out of character for us to do something not Chesterton but um I was so swept up by Mm. that book and I was so moved it it really felt like spiritual reading to me and no absolutely um Evelyn Waugh was so affected by Chesterton though he was a very different man from Chesterton they Mm. loved the same god and both had very you know interesting spiritual journeys so uh I definitely found there to be enough of a connection there to to do it in this space and so that book has been really my um my reading for most of January but um I have some other things that I have lined up to read I'm I'm honestly mostly trying to stick to my um New Year's resolution which is reading the mass readings and doing um the liturgy of the hours each morning um oh nice <clears throat> which has proven to be a little more difficult to stick to now that I've decided to stick to it <laughs> it's like in August I kind of did it on accident because Grace and mm-hmm. I were given the liturgy of the hours booklet from word on fire and I joyfully did it the entire month and Mm. I just was like this is what I needed in my spiritual life I needed some structure in my morning prayer and um and Grace and I at that time had like great conversations about spiritual journaling and like just like telling the Lord what's on our heart more of the time and um and then now that I've like made a concerted effort and I bought the books and stuff I'm struggling so (laughs) <laughs> that that's what I'm trying to do when I get a chance to read and then mm. trying to do fiction more so in the evenings <clears throat> but now we're reading the everlasting man and I've had um I've been enjoying it and struggling with it and I kind of am disappointed because I got a a copy of it from the secondhand bookstore and I I just told Grace before we started that I read it 
what we were going to discuss. And then I started listening to an audible version of it just to read it again, which for me, I feel like I have to read Chesterton about three times before I can start <laughs> taking notes. But so um, true. I realized my copy is missing like large chunks of the text and they just mm. rem they removed what they wanted to remove from the introduction and from chapter one. So um, Grace is leading today because she is <laughs> she is confident and I am I am the supporting character today. Um, but that's that's what I'm probably going to be reading mostly coming up. So. All right. Yeah, I'm um, I'm happy to lead because I had fun reading this introduction in the first chapter. So I think there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, so I guess we can just dive right in. Yeah. Um, the first the first thing that I noticed was the very first line of his introduction, which, by the way, if you haven't read the introduction, if you've just read chapter one, please go back and read the introduction, yes. because I think it's, it's super important. helpful and yeah. it's very important. It's not just sort of a throwaway introduction. It's definitely like him setting up the whole book. And so yeah. um, I, it really could have been chapter one, I think. <laughs> I actually but, uh, was a little confused as to why he didn't just make it chapter one, but yeah. agreed. It's not yeah. one you want to skip. Right. Um, and so he titles it, or at least the book, the version that I have from uh, Dover Publications. The plan um, of this he, book. It's called The Plan of This Book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so he kind of lays it all out there. But his very first two sentences is, there are two ways of getting home, and one of them is to stay there. The other is to walk around the whole world till we come back to the same place. And I tried to trace such a journey in a story I once wrote. And of course, he's referencing there Man Alive, yes. <laughs> because that is um, part of the whole plot of Man Alive. And so, again, if you have not read Man Alive and listened to our episodes on Man Alive, I encourage you to go back and maybe do that first, because I think it will give you a very... Um, fun kind of like technical color version of this philosophy that he's about yeah. to expound upon in this book yeah. so um I was excited because I love Man Alive and so I do too and it made so it much great. sense like that connection because one of the things he talks about in the introduction in chapter one is like the different like uh world religion professors and like their their mm -hmm. view how they see christianity versus other religions and um in man alive um innocent smith goes on this journey around the world to get home again and like he meets all these people of different like walks of life faith belief etc and i it like totally clicked for me as we started reading the everlasting man that like that was the yeah exactly the fictional incarnation of what these ideas that he's mm -hmm. explaining to us here of um, what he, you know, he, what is, does he meet a Confucianist in Man Alive or? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I think so. And he's like in the pagoda in like the temple in the mountains in yeah. China or something like that. Yeah. He, he takes us on a fictional journey and now he's taking us on um, a nonfiction journey through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, he gives in this, uh, introduction a sort of another image I guess that's very similar of a boy who lives in a farm house on mm -hmm. the side of a hill and then he goes far away and is able to see that the hill he lives on is a giant yeah and he never was able to notice it before because it was too close and it was too yeah. big yeah. um and I thought that that was beautiful um 
for a lot of things, but I find that to be true about God just in general Mm -hmm. um, and our experience of God and how sometimes God is so close and so big (laughs) that we don't notice him. Um, And we kind of have to, yeah, yeah. And it's like, we have to almost step away sometimes to be able to see the reality of what we've been experiencing. Um, And I think that's kind of the, that shift in perspective. Yes. Like we can't, yeah. When you're really close to anything, it's sometimes hard to see it for what it completely is. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think, I think that, that psychology um, of like needing to step away from something too is it's like the whole purpose of man alive. Um, but he talks about it in, in this book too. And I think it's, it's something important to contemplate in our own lives, just with the people that are in our lives and the circumstances that we're experiencing and um, yeah, just any little gifts or big gifts that we've been given um Hmm. that they can become too familiar and so that's one of the Hmm. things that that he talks about um in the beginning let me see if i can find the quote he talks about rediscovering the wonder and the candor of a child Hmm. um at like the universe itself at ourselves Hmm. as human Mm -hmm. beings at whatever in our lives and he says Things that may be that may well be familiar so long as familiarity breeds affection had much better become unfamiliar when familiarity breeds contempt. Hmm. So he's arguing that if something's familiar, that can actually be really good mm-hmm. that that we can experience just kind of like daily life and that can be really good. And we kind of accept uh these like basic laws of nature in the universe without even really thinking about it. And we're just living it and it's actually good. But then we can start to get in this funk where we start to question what we know because we're bored or because we've become blind in some way to the beauties of the natural things in our lives. Mm. Um, And so we have to, in that moment, step away and become unfamiliar and make Mm. something look like this crazy supernatural monster-like reality in yeah. order for us to yeah. kind of like appreciate it again I don't know were you were said, you getting that yeah. when reading this? yeah and he kind of he kind of says um these are really the only two ways in which we can honestly see if we lose our appreciation for what we know to be true and we almost oversimplify it for ourselves we have to remember that we don't know everything that mm. uh, and I took this as like you know that God is so mysterious. Like we we do know a lot. Like Christ gave us the church. Christ gave us so much scripture tradition to for us to learn from and to um, reason with. But but at the same time, there's an infinite amount that we don't know also, and that that's marvelous and makes mm. it quite an adventure. We forget that we're on an adventure. It's like if we can have that childlike love and wonder for our faith, great. But if you seem to be falling out of that, he says, you need to find that new perspective. You need to climb the hill and see the giant, you know? Mm, yeah. There was a part, too, that reminded me in the first chapter. There was a part that reminded me of Job um, mm. and the very end of Job, which we talked about a lot with, like, the mm. man who was Thursday, that um, when God finally appears to Job in the end and he's he's talking to him 
and he's he takes mm-hmm. him on this like tour of the universe you know yeah. and he's like yeah basically trying to get job chesterton says in his essay on job like he's trying to get job to realize like how crazy the universe is yes. and that it's so beyond him it's so fantastical it's like he takes it as just commonplace and just like accepted and doesn't mm. even think about it and god's like don't you see how crazy this is like that none of this had to exist um and i think let's see it was the part in chapter one he said um what we know in a sense which we know nothing else is that the trees and the grass did grow and then a number mm-hmm. of other extraordinary things do in fact happen that queer creatures support themselves in the empty air by beating it with fans of various fantastic shapes <laughs> that other queer creatures steer themselves about alive under a load yes. of mighty waters that other c- queer creatures walk about on four legs and that the queerest creature of all walks about on, on two. two legs these yeah. are things and not theories and so it's yes. it's that's another point I think that he's trying to make in in this in the introduction in the first chapter and probably the whole book is that scientists and historians and philosophers and like all these people in the modern era um, are looking back at what they can find of history. Um, but he's accusing them of not being very scientific or very mm-hmm. historical because they come up with all sorts of crazy theories with no evidence. Yeah. Um, they kind of piece things together in ways that it's almost yeah. like it, it reminded me of how some like kind of fundamentalists will proof text scripture just to kind yeah. of like, yeah, just try to, to find evidence for some crazy make. idea. Yeah. 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 Um, and, but like the scientists and the historians are, in danger of doing that too sometimes um and he's saying no we have to like look at what's actually there like what's actually in front of us what we actually experience and what we actually experience is fantastical enough Mm -hmm. to like wonder at and be like wow like yeah why is this even here to begin with you know yeah and he talks about that with like the with the caveman and all the theories Mm. about the caveman like the first men Um, And he it made me laugh so much reading that because he's like, you know, the theory is that like basically the caveman was just like a brute who Mm -hmm. knocked his wife around or whatever and like was this very animalistic being. And he has a great line where he's like, the more um, the more of an animal we try to see in the man, the less like an animal he'll seem. But um, Mm. but he talks about like how the the historians aren't being accurate because the evidence that we do have is not some manuscript from the cavemen saying that they beat their wives and that they were just brutish. What we have Mm -hmm. is the art in their cave dwellings. Right. And mentions the lady who had like a humorous theory that the cave drawings were, were done for babies who were basically in primary care or whatever. But yeah. You know, he's saying, look at the evidence that we do actually have, not just about cave people, about cavemen, but mm-hmm. about about faith. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just like the the human being himself, like today in the world, like how crazy this is, you know, in comparison to the rest of nature. Um, yeah. And I love all of the, I, one of the thing I love about Chesterton is he gets really concrete and mm. he gives really concrete examples because I think it's easy for us to say like, oh yeah, we are very like animalistic. Like we're very like the animals. Yeah. We are an animal in, in a certain sense. 
And we build ourselves habitats sometimes. And we, you know, yeah. like like the beaver would build itself a habitat or whatever. Yeah. But then he starts giving very concrete examples of like, but what if a bird like took twigs and shaped them into like Gothic arches and like made this like Gothic arch, like cathedral of a bird's nest? Like we would freak out. Like that's not normal, you know? He made me and laugh the bird, so much. I know. This. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And just the fact that he can give so many like concrete example after concrete example of like yes. the difference between human beings and animals that you start to realize, oh, like, yeah, we can draw a lot of connections between mm -hmm. human beings and animals, mm -hmm. but there's even more like dissimilarity yes. between human beings and animals. And yeah. so that's something that he's saying, like a lot of people, when they talk about this, they shed light on one thing, but they like keep the rest of it in the darkness. But he's saying, yeah. no, you have to look at the thing as it is in the plain light. Yeah. You have to see all sides of it like yeah. at once and just like you we know that we're different like yeah. we know that we're different that's like instinctive yeah. um yeah yeah and I like how he says he <laughs> he knows he can't be completely unbiased because he is a catholic and he's like mm -hmm. talking about the catholic faith but he finds he he thinks that he honestly is being as unbiased as he can be more unbiased than the than the world religion professors and mm because I think he so successfully creates that new perspective for himself. He turns things on their head and, and tries to see things honestly. And mm -hmm. we talked about this in Orthodoxy, but Chesterton's journey to faith was one of entertaining the all of the skepticism and mm -hmm. criticisms of the faith. It wasn't like he read all of these apologists in order to, to come to Christianity. He read all mm -hmm. of everybody who didn't believe in Christianity and mm -hmm. by their very confusing and conflicting arguments saw that there was maybe more truth in Christianity than what he first perceived. So, yeah. And there was something that he kind of started to pick up on among the, the intellectuals that he was hanging out with and the mm. things that he was reading and that, and he talks about it, I think in this book, um, he says something about being in reaction or being mm. in revolt, yes. like makes you short-sighted, like it makes yeah. you biased. And mm -hmm. he said, there's so many people within, you know, the remnants of Christendom who are revolting and reacting against the Christian thing so much so that it actually skews their vision of the Christian thing. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what he's trying to say is that as a Catholic or as a Christian, like he is being less biased even though you would think he would be more biased because he's not being emotional about it mm -hmm. like he's already mm -hmm. gone through the whole like I'm interested in what's actually true I'm trying yes. to find out what's actually true I'm not like getting angry at this mm -hmm. thing or the other thing you know and I just thought when I read it I thought about myself and I just thought about how many times in my own life I was blind to a fuller like view of reality because mm. I was really emotional about something mm. and I was reacting against something or I was revolting against something. I've been thinking about this a lot um, just in the last few weeks with just, I don't know, various people that I encounter on a regular basis who like maybe I judged too harshly because of something they said because of mm. something else I was connecting them to in my mind, which wasn't sure. fair. Sure. Um, and so just being really angry or trying to rev revolt against something that I knew was not a truth, um, it skewed my vision to be able to see what they had to say that actually was mm. true or there was mm. elements of truth. And I don't know if that's making any sense. No, it does. But I, think, I think we all do that at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I say that just to say like, 
you know, it's not just one type of person that does this, you know, it's not just these people that Chesterton is kind of arguing Mm -hmm. against um, here, but I think he's making a really true point um, that all of us are susceptible to this if we allow our emotions to kind of get in the way of seeking that, that truth. So true. Mm. What did, what did you think of, he talks a lot about evolution, Mm. the theory of evolution, well, like theories in general, but Mm-hmm. the theory of evolution and he says something really interesting about how slow or quickly something happens mm. doesn't determine whether or not it's true yeah what were your thoughts on that I thought that that was really good to think about yeah I I was like wow that's so true like we can talk about something fast or we can talk about something slow um, and kind of make as if like oh slowing it down or speeding it up will like give us an answer but he mm-hmm. says like um, let's see, where's the quote? The ultimate question, he's talking about whether things go slow or go fast. And he says, the ultimate question is why they go at all. And that's, yeah. that's the thing is <laughs> like, we can look at the earth, you know, yeah. we can look at the earth and we can say like, oh, it was, it developed slowly over time or like, or it was, or it was fast or, you know, whatever. But the reality is like, the earth exists and like, that's weird. Like why, (laughs) why is it here at all? You know? And that's, that's the question that, that religion is seeking to answer, you know? Um, and so I think he's making an important distinction between like religion and philosophy and then like science and history. Um, and so for me it was like, yeah, okay. Like we can, yeah, I don't know. Like we think we can answer the question by, by speeding it up or slowing it down, but really it doesn't make a difference. I don't know. Did you have actually, do you have more thoughts on that? No, I was just curious to what you thought about it. I guess I thought it, it really struck me when he said that because I didn't realize that a lot of the time when people crave for something as humans, we crave for something to like happen more gradually or more slowly. It like makes more mm. sense to us if it didn't happen in an instant. Mm-hmm. But he kind of talks about how people who are determined not to believe in miracles, it doesn't matter if the miracle happens slowly or quickly. For them, they're going to disbelieve it in either instance. Mm. And it kind of goes back to like what we were just talking about. Are your eyes really open to seeing what is true what at whatever speed it happens? And it also just called to mind for me that like, the son of man who has saved us came in an instant. You know what I mean? He was born into the Mm -hmm. world in a moment. And, you know, it wasn't like he was born over 2000 years. Like (laughs) he came at the time when, when God chose to come into the world and, and that's a miracle. And whether or not you want to believe that is not affected by how quickly (laughs) he came. I was just laughing because the whole time he's talking about evolution, I, Mm -hmm. those couple of pages, I was writing LOL in the margins a million times (laughs) because of all the little classic Chesterton jabs. Like he's jabbing at like all these different people, like the, what was it? Grant Allen or whatever. Um, (laughs) it would be much more interesting if God wrote a book about the evolution of the idea of Grant Allen (laughs) (laughs) instead of Grant Allen's like idea of, or evolution of the idea of God or whatever. I loved that. Yeah. yeah. And then and he's uh, like, oh, people and- <laughs> were offended by that. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he said, uh, and I remember that the editor objected to my remark on the ground that it was blasphemous, which naturally amused me. Not a little. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Oh, my gosh. I and then dying. he says my remark was strictly pi- pious and proper. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, and then at are. the end he's full of it for sure at the end of the argument uh or in the end of the paragraph i mean he says uh very probably the editor had not even read the whole of the title for it is a rather long title and he was a rather busy man <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing oh my gosh when he talks about um origin of the species or whatever yes, uh-huh. and he says uh as many of them live under a sort of illusion that they have read the origin of the species I like know. people talking about evolution all the time as if they've as even read Dar- darwin you know or uh, yeah <laughs> like, or any or any studies on it at all mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i actually in that same paragraph he says like this just compounds on what we were just talking about but he says it is really far more logical to start by saying in the beginning god created heaven and earth even if you only mean in the beginning some unthinkable power began some unthinkable process and that was like that was what grace was saying about it's not just like we're not just asking how this happened it's like or you know it's like this happened and this is yeah. crazy like that that the earth came into existence and then we all came into existence on it yeah there was <laughs> i was thinking about because we were talking about the caveman and also just like i don't know chesterton making me laugh um yeah. there was a couple of funny things he was saying about the caveman too i really appreciated how he was like basically yo like don't slander the caveman like <laughs> you know <laughs> you don't chesterton, know <laughs> yeah chesterton's <laughs> always uh always about like the democracy of the dead or whatever like yeah. he wants to like treat people from the past as equals and not as like yeah. somehow less and it reminded me of c.s lewis's line about chronological snobbery mm-hmm. um <laughs> we tend to see people who came before us as like stupider yeah. than us when actually yeah. like all the evidence is to the contrary know. <laughs> you know um we thinking think, about we think that we've progressed past yeah. oh yeah. we well, got the we got the same sins going on that mm-hmm. have been going on if we need yeah. any evidence that we have not progressed <laughs> well, some, it's like progress in, yeah well I mean it is progress in some ways but not others yeah. and I think it's it's way I think his point is like it's way too much of a blanket statement to just assume that like cavemen were more primitive than we are yeah. like we don't yeah. know that you know and like and back to the it, art thing yeah sorry go ahead oh no I was just gonna say the funny quote um when he talks about the sex novel <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he says, um, the realist of the sex novel writes, Red Sparks danced in Dagmar Doubledick's brain. He felt the spirit of the caveman rising within him. The novelist's readers would be very much disappointed if Dagmar only went off and drew large pictures of cows on the drawing room wall. <laughs> but like that's the evidence that we have of cavemen is like drawings on a wall, like not I crazy, know. like I don't know. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Oh man. That is so, so funny. funny. Yeah. I did. If any, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to read another quote. If any gentleman wants to knock a woman about, he can surely be a cad without taking away the character of the caveman. <laughs> Don't blame it on uh, cavemen, okay? Exactly. I loved how he told the story of the the priest and the boy discovering the like that was like one of the first discoveries of cave, um, yeah, paintings. And how he talks about the importance of a child Mm. seeing it and like an adult saw it, but a child also saw it Mm. and how children are better at just seeing things for the facts. Mm -hmm. The child didn't go in there thinking about evolution and other theories. Mm. He went in there 
and discovered something and saw the facts of the of the drawings on the walls. Chesterton is so great at reminding us to be childlike mm-hmm. in how we approach learning about things. Just a beautiful, real example of it. Yeah, yeah. To be able to see without that um, bias of, you know, whatever theories are going around or whatever you think is most popular or fashionable or probable or whatever, yeah. but it's like just yeah. to see it for what it really is. Um, yeah, I really think all of Chesterton, I I think he's like, you know, he's called the apostle of common sense and all this kind of stuff, but I, I like the apostle of wonder and awe because I just mm-hmm. think, I said that over and over again, but I just really think that he understands the importance of wonder and awe and like had an unusually large <laughs> bit of it in his own soul. And like, um, he, that's, that's the thing that he, I think affects me with the most spiritually, um, mm-hmm. is to remember to wonder, um, mm-hmm. and to have imagination, the imagination of a child, mm-hmm. um, life can get so flat and so boring but when we think of describing life and reality and existence as flat or boring it's absurd (laughs) you know um so it's it's children that that can kind of remind us of the glory of what it is that we experience every day of our lives you know Um, absolutely I know I was thinking about this with with Alexander he's in this phase where all of the books that he loves the most are of animals from the safari basically Mm -hmm. and it's amazing going through these books with him and they're simple they're made for babies but they've got cool um, illustrations and a little bit you know some facts about the different animals and one day I'm sitting there and he makes all the sounds for the animals as we're going through and I'm like, this is crazy that rhinos exist. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that one of the <laughs> first things that we show our son is this wild looking like, creature. Like, look at this weird thing. <laughs> with yeah. a horn. And it's amazing to him. Mm-hmm. And he would, he doesn't, he probably gets the most excited about anything when he sees a lion. And, mm. and it just reminds you to, I think sometimes when we're like, oh, be childlike, be childlike, we mm-hmm. we make it too simple and we yeah. forget to be curious. Yeah. And we forget that the rhino is insanely weird and crazy. And why do we <laughs> why aren't we wondering about this? Being around a child or being around children, younger, younger people it reminds you to find that curiosity in yourself for not just create like not just creation and animals but about everything you know mm. mm-hmm. for sure did I I'm I'm totally blanking did I already say about the twofold goal of the book like what you didn't trying- and I do think we should talk about that okay so yeah so I I appreciated that he just gave us kind of his thesis or or at least his goal um for mm-hmm. the book which is first in the first half of the book to try to get us to see man or humanity as super weird among the things of nature um, that that we are weird that we're different that we're not at all the same as everything Mm -hmm. else that exists in creation Um, and that that should make us that should give us pause and that should make us wonder like a child and that should Mm. get us to be curious and ask those questions 
why are we why are we <laughs> like yeah. why are we the yeah. way that we are why do we exist like <laughs> why are we so different than the rest yeah. of creation um and then secondly to focus on christ um and to look at jesus and say he among men is weird <laughs> he's yeah. not normal he's yeah. not a normal man um mm-hmm. and that should also give us pause and give us mm-hmm. rise for curiosity and and all this stuff and um and so that's gonna be i think the second half of his book is to yeah. really focus on on christ as the everlasting man um yeah. and so that's a, a two-step process that's necessary first to focus on the wonder yeah. of man and then second to focus on the wonder of the god man um yes. And so I'm excited. I'm excited and, to kind yeah. of see where it goes. And if it helps you to think about it, you know, with orthodoxy, Chesterton was telling us how he personally came to be convinced about Christianity and how he personally came to faith. Mm-hmm. And in this book, he's telling the story of how humanity came to mm-hmm. faith mm-hmm. and and why. He's really telling an important history of of the world in relation to Jesus Christ, which is a big, a big task, Mm -hmm. but a good one. Yeah. So he went from like that very personal individual level in orthodoxy, which really speaks to all of us, but Mm -hmm. you know, he really wrote it as a personal story. And then now we're, now we're looking at it from the history of the world perspective and how, how the world came to faith. So. Well, wonderful. Yeah. I think that's all I have. Um, do you have any, I don't know, gratitude gratitude journal Ooh. for this week? Yes, I'm always grateful for, for many things. You know what? Um, the thing I'm most grateful for, one of my dear friends is pregnant right now, and she's lost a couple babies this mm. year, or last year, and I keep forgetting it's 2023. And um, <laughs> she has had... A healthy ultrasound after healthy mm. ultrasound and things have continued to look good and we pray for her hard every night and we're just very hopeful and it's a very traumatic thing to be pregnant after losing mm. multiple children so I'm grateful that she's still pregnant that her baby is healthy so far and and if you're if you're a praying person who listens if you could pray for her just that this baby keeps thriving and mm. that they hold this chubby little baby sometime in August that that's what i'm grateful for this week it's been a huge relief to keep that's hearing awesome. good news about it yeah what about you grace are you wow. grateful for anything this week yeah just like a couple of answered prayers just kind of like like, I don't know, fun, kind of funny answer prayers. I've been, I have all kinds of horrible back problems and, um, I've been struggling with it for a long time. It's just a lot of disc issues. And, um, it's, it's really hard to stay, uh, on a exercise routine that keeps my back healthy. And, um, yeah, I just, I was praying a few weeks ago. I was just like, Jesus, like I'm going to physical therapy right now. I'm like, Jesus, I really need, to do Pilates <laughs> because <laughs> it's very specific, but my physical therapist recommended it several times and I've been thinking about it, but I've never done it before. And there's like different types of it. And like, this is real life. Okay. Jesus, yeah. Like I need some you. of it, like some of it is really expensive. Like Pilates, yeah. if you do Pilates yeah. with the machines, they have like the reformer machines or whatever. It's really expensive. And it's yeah. so expensive that I literally, I mean, I work for the church. I literally can't afford it. And so, um, so I'm, I'm just, 
just like, dang, like I want to, I want to be able to do like the mat Pilates where you just do it kind of like the body weight exercises yeah. and things just like on a mat, but like so many studios around here don't teach it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So I'm, I'm wrestling with these things. I'm struggling with these things. I, ha- I am horrible at keeping myself accountable to doing exercise. Like I really need to go to a gym where somebody can tell me what to do and I can show up and it's like not at my house and not at my work. You yes. Know? Um, so I'm just really struggling, uh, to find that for honestly years. Um, and so recently it just kind of got to a breaking point and I was just like, Jesus, like I need to do Pilates and I like, I don't, I can't do it by myself. Like I I literally just like, don't know. I don't know how to do it. I don't know who to do it with. Like I I just won't do it if I have to do it by myself in my house. Like I just need it. And has he provided a friend and a, and a class? Yes. So, okay. So this (laughs) is the crazy thing that happened. It's like, so just like (laughs) off the wall. I, I got into this like frustrating, like, I don't even know why conversation with a coworker about something we were working on and neither of us could understand each other. And it was weird. And then I just texted him and I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I don't know what that was. Like, can we have this conversation again? And so he came in my office later and we were talking and somehow from that, it was like completely unrelated. We started talking and I said something about PT and he started asking me about my back and he was like, Hey, have you ever tried Pilates? No and I was way. like, no. <laughs> and he goes, um, he's like, yeah, I've always wanted to do Pilates and I've never done it. And I like really want to do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, do you want to do it with me? And he was like, yes, let's do it. And I was like, wait, really? And he was like, yes. And so <laughs> we immediately looked up a gym and we like went to a class, but it like wasn't really that great. So then I was kind of like, oh, dang, like, man, I, I hope we can like find something else. But then he um, had heard about this other gym. And so anyways, we're going to do it. And we signed up. You go, and girl. we're going tomorrow for the first time um, at this new gym. And they do mat Pilates and mat yoga. But it's like the very simple beginner yoga that's just like the kind of classic stretches and stuff, which yeah, is exactly yeah. what I need. Um, and so I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so I'm Yay. like, thank you, Jesus, for providing an exercise he buddy. He does provide. <laughs> I love I it. I love it. Well, and so. everybody pray for Grace's back. Yes. This is the year you. of healing. Yes. I think. I think we should claim it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. fantastic. I love that. And it's so, it's such a good example of like, we have to ask God to come into the real, like, yeah. come ordinary. into the, yeah, it's like, we need him in all of these, like, it, like we're laughing because it's Pilates, but it's like so important because you can mm-hmm. feel like a new person if your back mm. felt better oh my gosh yeah so exciting yeah <sighs> so that's what I'm, I'm happy for. I'm happy to hear it yeah that's y'all so pray great. for me that it's like a consistent thing <laughs> I'm always afraid that something's just gonna fizzle you know because I feel like just a lot of times it has but that's like where I'm trying to have that hope you know you can uh, do it. We're going to encourage you. So. Me and all the listeners. <laughs> write, your, write your messages in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, we're also going to be more consistent with recording. And um, I'm yeah, excited about that. Yeah, you pray for that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pray for us. Um, we are going to be doing Chapter 2 of The Everlasting Man next time. And hopefully we'll get that to you guys in just a week. Grace, something to think about that a listener asked for that I won't ask you to answer now, but hopefully we can answer it maybe in the next episode or a future episode. The purpose of the title, The Everlasting Man. Mm. And, you know, I think there's an obvious answer to it, but I think 
maybe we can try to find the origin of why he selected that that name. And I, I didn't know. This is my first time reading it, so mm-hmm. I need to research and investigate. But we will try to answer that for you, listener, by um, one of our next episodes. Great. As usual, we're on Instagram at Pints with Chesterton. I usually, Marie, I run that and um, try to respond to all your messages. Our website is pintswithchesterton.com. Our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a message or a question or anything as usual. We look forward to doing this book with you guys. May you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers.